When the world has got you down Alzheimer's sucks. It's an equal opportunity disease that chips away at everything we hold dear. And to date, there's no cure. So until there is, we continue to fight with the most powerful tool in our arsenal, love. This is Love Conquers Alls, a real and really positive podcast that takes a deep dive into everything Alzheimer's, the good, the bad, and everything in between. And now, here's your hosts, Susie Singer-Carter and Cassie Cruz. All you gotta do is sing a song. So about 11 years ago, when my mother was first diagnosed with Alzheimer's, a mutual friend of ours said, you should really meet with my friend, Lisa Gibbons. She's been through all of this. She's very active in the community, and she's just lovely. And we had lunch. Lisa brought me her phenomenal book called Take Your Oxygen First and proceeded to give me the best advice that anyone had given me in terms of Alzheimer's, which was to videotape my mom and videotape her as much as I can. That's got to be the greatest blessing because you're going to have those memories. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're changing so much. Before you know it, they progressed another stage. And so I am so glad I did that. But on top of all that... Let me just tell you a little bit about Lisa Gibbons. She's an Emmy Award winner. She's one of the most well-known pop culture icons on the air. Well, of course, everybody knows her. Everybody knows Lisa. And she has an impressive background in the field of entertainment and news media with shows such as Entertainment Tonight, her PBS show My Generation, her own talk show, Lisa. Wow. She's become an instrumental advocate for healthcare, wellness, and caregiving And she's also the founder of Lisa's Care Connection, a supportive, safe, free place where you can go and have coffee, cry, worry, chat, just anything you need. There's a community for you of people who are caregivers, and they do care. Right now, Lisa is currently seen on camera as a co-host of the Rose Parade and the host of the three-week yoga retreat. She is a mother. She's a wife. She's a businesswoman. She's a New York Times bestselling author. She's making me tired and feeling very, very (laughs) underaccomplished. She's a self-proclaimed FCTA, former caregiver turned advocate. We're so excited to have her here. Let me introduce you to Lisa Gibbons. Ladies, you are way too kind. (laughs) It's not true. (laughs) I'm I'm so um, supportive and so cheering you on and so inspired by what the two of you are doing and excited to add what I can to your conversation and to your advocacy because we need it. We do. We We need it. There's a void out there. There's not enough conversation and enough information about really how to care give in this world. And it can be really overwhelming, which is I know part of what you're trying to do is break it down and help people take a breath and realize that we've got to move forward by focusing on what's left rather than being so stuck in what's lost because it's brutal. It's really brutal. And, you know, that's that's why I started Lisa's Care Connection. Um, I was where you both have been. Um, this person that I loved so much, my mother, um, was battling uh, this dark thief, and I didn't know what to do. So for me, being able to jump into action and focus my grief and my sadness and my sense of helplessness in some direction really saved my life. Um, saved my sanity and anybody that's facing this right now can understand you do feel like uh, you're going to break. 
Totally. I can't, I can't agree with you more, uh, like a thousand percent, Lisa, because now I know all these almost a decade later or more than a decade later with all the advice you gave me when you were, you had cared for your mother, Jean, and, and I was thinking, this is not going to happen to me. Like I couldn't imagine what you were saying was going to be true. I just couldn't, I couldn't even fathom that my mother would be going down that slippery slope of, of, you know, uh, a, a place that was so frightening to me. And it's, it's really what motivated me to make my film as well, My Mom and the Girl, because I, I realized that if I don't connect to the positive, the alternative is a very, very dark place to be. Well, our brain wants to protect us. And I love that you instinctively did, you, you moved forward with what you knew. You knew how to tell stories. You knew how to make films. You knew how to connect and you, you moved forward with that. And that's how all of us get through anything. We start kind of where we are with, with what we have. And it's really important that people who have a story, and that's everybody, that's everybody, that we join hands and join forces and realize the value of that story. But I love what you said, Susie, that you couldn't fathom that your mother was going to go there. We can't. We can't. Imagine, because we're programmed to think that, A, you know, our moms are going to live forever. The people that we love are going to be in our lives forever. And um, and we just can't quite allow ourselves to see this decompensating and this disappearing and um, this dance with a stranger that will soon be ours. I, it's so true. It, 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 I remember you telling me, take take those videos because before you know it, it's another chapter will be gone and gone and gone. And I thought she, this it's, you're right. Because my mom was such a force. She was so, she was a firecracker, you know? And, and I thought there's no way I thought I was going to talk my mom out of it, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to cure it. This is what we do. I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just, you know, put my head to the grind, sort of meet enough people. We're just going to figure the darn thing out. Me too. Yeah. You and me, we're like soul sisters that way. I was like, God damn it. This is my mom. I'm going to make her, she, we're close. She's going to get this. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to conquer this, you know? Yeah, but and, you learn. And, so, and honestly, someday we will. And slowly but surely, we're beginning to, um, to to strip away at this mystery. But the brain is such a conundrum. And yep. while we are waiting on cures, which many people think will come in the form of something like a cocktail, like we have for AIDS and other medication, other diseases, while we're waiting on that cure, we really have to focus on care. So we've got 40 million caregivers. We are the healthcare system. You know, all the candidates are talking about universal healthcare. Okay, great. But guess what? We're delivering it every day. The moms, the, the, the husbands, and the wives and the sons and daughters, we're out there showing up on the front lines. And just like, you know, firefighters and first responders run towards the problem and towards the burning building, that's just what we're doing. And it is nothing short of heroic. And we need more. Thank you. You're right. And we need more. We it's it's even with 40 million of us, there's there's not enough because the care is relentless. And what did you do about that, Lisa? How did you handle it? How did you deal with it? I kicked and screamed and was reluctant and tried not to be recruited into this army at first. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and once once I was able to kind of um, see my reality and reframe what I needed to do, 
uh, I, I just went about the business of being becoming radically resilient. You know, if there's anybody that can that can build tomorrow with the broken pieces of today, it's caregivers because they have to do it. And the reason why we started our foundation was because we thought, what can we do while we're waiting on these cures? If we can't yet fix the disease, we can fix the fact that many caregivers are dying before their diagnosed loved ones. That's how incredibly overwhelming compassion fatigue really is. So the, the conservative number is 30% will die before their loved one. Many people say it's much higher than that. It is such a crushing negative effect on your system, on your immune system, psychologically, physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually, you begin to unravel. After a while, you know, you're just getting by and if you're not replenishing and refueling and resetting yourself, which sometimes means today was awful, I really effed up today, tomorrow I get another chance. Learning to let go of all of the things that went wrong is what I mean by being radically resilient. It's just, it's a new way of having different expectations for yourself because 10 years is the, the amount of years that you will erase from your own life. Wow. Because yep. you are a caregiver. We can change that. I never heard that term compassion fatigue and it resonated so much for me. And I feel like, you know, they, they call us the sandwich generation because we're stuck between our children and our and our parents who are ailing. And then I, I think I'm now like a, a I'm like a club sandwich. My daughter just had a baby. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Congrats. Thank you so much. You know, she's got, she's, there's a little bit of caregiving going on with the baby. She'll be fine. But you know, I, when you say compassion fatigue, I see it in my daughter and then I see it. And I see it in you, Susie. Right. I She sees it in me all the time. I'm like, you need to take a break. You need, you need some food. Oh my God. Lisa, when I read that, it just, it bumped me exactly, you know, where I live right now. And it's, and it's, I think I'm, I've got to represent so many people because I am, I realize, and my daughter watching her having her compassion fatigue, like she literally calls me and says, mom, I don't know what to do. And and I think it's, it's so important to talk about it. So I'm, I'm glad that you are bringing it into the zeitgeist. And I want to talk about your, your book about take your oxygen first. Could you, cause that's exactly what we're talking about right now. That's would you mind describing how that journey was for you and how rewarding it has been for you to write that? When I started taking steps forward and redefining myself as a caregiver, you know, my dream is that all of us will just put our hands up and say, yes, I'm a caregiver. Let me tell you my story. But we don't. Um, We go to our corners and we hide and Mm -hmm. we overeat or we don't sleep or we sleep too much or we spend too much, um, all the things we do to deny these feelings and stuff these feelings. And so the reframe for that was the reason for take your oxygen first, you know, just like on the airplane, but you know, you're a mom, but if you're sitting next to a kid, put your oxygen mask on before you help your child. Well, that's so darn hard for any of us, but you know, um, on an, on an airplane, you've got like, I think nine to 18 seconds of, of, action time before that decision becomes one that's irreversibly regrettable. So in life, we really don't have much time either before we have to say, wait, if I, I have to take more for myself so that I can give more to the one that I love. And so if that, whatever that means to you, and it's deeply personal, if that means I need to have 
I need to shut the door and have a bath and be, have no one bother me for 30 minutes. I need to stay in my car before I go inside the house and meditate. Um, Mm. I need to, whatever it is, you know, take a walk, take, and it doesn't have to be massive life changes, but those little resets will give you the resilience that you need um, so that you can be fiercely optimistic as you go forward. Right. What what happens with like myself, for example, you feel so guilty about like, oh, I'm taking that time and I should be doing this or I should be doing that. You know, we are a gold star society. We judge ourselves. We wait for other people to give us the feedback on how well we're doing. And if you're waiting to become world's best caregiver, it's just not going to happen. First of all, no one seeks the title. No one runs for that office. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's no there's no caregiver Barbie. No one, <laughs> no one plays no, this, not if, yet. You know, right? Coming. When you're growing up, it's not like, wow, I just want to someday be the best caregiver that I can for my mom. Right. So there's, there's, there's no, there's no sweater to put on that fits. And so it, it, we, we just kind of take those clothes that are so itchy and uncomfortable or whatever. And we put them at the, at the darkest corner in the top of the closet mm-hmm. and we wait and we wait and we wait until we're forced to kind of bring it out and say, oh my gosh, I'm a caregiver. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so much confusion and misunderstanding about the disease and misconception about how to deal with people that have the disease, so much fear that it ends up one person primarily becomes the caregiver in a family, which is so much responsibility. And it's it's really the reason why I want to keep the conversation going to, to demystify it. Boy, you're so, you're so right. And when you say there's usually one person, that is both a blessing and a curse. And it's, it's usually a, a daughter, not mm-hmm. always. There are lots of, the average age of a caregiver is 49 years old, but there are lots of millennial caregivers. There are lots of caregivers that are obviously much older, but it's, it's usually a daughter. And in families where there are siblings, there's so much time spent being hurt, angry, resentful of the other siblings that aren't showing up in the way you think they should or the way you want them to or the way you think mom or dad would want and expect them to. But as soon as we can acknowledge that we all have different limits, we all have different capacity to deal with our grief and our pain, then the the sooner we can kind of get on with doing what needs to be done because families waste a lot of time with the infighting that just creates more guilt and delays the, the, the grief, there, you know, taking a leadership role, even though it may not be the one that you want, and you may be mad as hell that you're the person that has to do it, mm-hmm. um, there's always something that some way we can learn to delegate. And whether you have siblings or you're an only, um, whether you have bio family or not, you, you're better off if you can become an effective delegator early on. And part of that is so simple so counterintuitive for women, which is when people say, gosh, I know you're going through a hard time. Let me know if I can help. And we never do. We feel like we're going to lose our place in heaven if we accept help from somebody. But we, our vulnerability makes us strong. And when you get used to, you know, say, write down the list of things that you, you would ask people to do if only you could or you believed them or you trusted them or you were willing to show yourself whatever. And those things can be anything like... You know, if I call you just and say I'm going to vent, just stay on the other end of the phone till I'm done. You know, please pick up my dry cleaning. Please come walk the dog. Please sit with mom while I take a bath. Um, You know, please call my brother and ask him why he's being so crummy in this deal. Whatever it is, have an answer ready 
and people want to help, but they really don't know how. And so important because if you ask, and that has, that's the vulnerability about asking somebody, that's super courageous. It is super courageous. I loved how you put that because, you know, we think that we are somehow diminished or weak, but we're not. We're, we're leaning into our strength and we're learning how to be competent and confident caregivers. And that's the work that we do at Lisa's Care Connection. So, you know, a lot of people that, that call us, for example, they aren't, they aren't, they say, well, I'm not joiners. I don't want to do a support group or it doesn't matter. Wherever you are is where you are. And to even use an anonymous name is freeing. Just call up, you know, hi, you know, this is Nancy. And, you know, my mother has Alzheimer's and I don't know what I'm doing. If you need to take your name off of it, then do that. But just anything you need to do to recognize that you're not alone because you're really not. And that's why you started Lisa's Care Connection, correct? Exactly right. Um, you know, our the, the universal experience is getting bigger and bigger. We talked about the numbers. It's been called a gray tsunami. Um, we know that legislatively we're not getting the love that we need. We know that the money is not there. So a lot of, of care falls to not only the unpaid family caregivers, which is who we support, but the nonprofit organizations, um, the NGOs, the community, organ community organizations that can just reach out and say, we're here and figure this thing out together. And the reality is, you know, like you ladies, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, you know, despite my most naive um, desire to conquer this thing, uh, you know, I'm not going to find a cure. But what I can do uh, is, is help diagnosed loved ones get better care. And the way to get better care, better care for the caregiver translates to better outcomes for the care receiver. And it prevents the next generation of what we call the worried well from stepping into those automatic shoes of having all the behavioral, all the lifestyle risks. Um, forget the genetic risk. It is what it is. But, but if you've got the genetic risk and then you expose yourself to, or I shouldn't say that because you're not doing it, but you are in you are in an environment that is putting you under assault every day, then that genetic risk is going to come forward. And just because you have a gene in your family doesn't mean you're going to get Alzheimer's. Just because you don't have a gene in your family doesn't mean you aren't going to get it. We all have a brain. We are all at risk. It's right. And that's why it needs to be much more mainstreamed and understood because we are all at risk and it is such a long exit and an expensive one. And, and my mother, I mean, we went through all of her funds and then thank God found, you know, an organization, which is the Jewish home, which actually had a place for her. I wouldn't know what to do after 12 years because it's so expensive, the care. It's just daunting, you know, never mind your emotional, but the practicality of it is, is daunting. It is at a time when, you know, when your brain is um, under grief and stress and duress, no matter how smart you are, you can't access the logical information and you can't create a path for yourself alone. And that's why a lot of what we do is help people come up with a game plan, you know, like, all right, it is expensive. If you don't have the money, it's not like we're going to be able to snap our fingers and find a place or find free support, which is what we offer free support. But for your loved one, if you need respite, um, whatever it is that you need, our job is to help connect you to the people and the places and the resources that can begin to drill down and find 
some answers, which doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, that it's going to be financially pain-free, but the, the signs of burnt out caregivers, uh, that's one, is just not being able to see, you know, you're in the forest and you can't see right. the trees. You're tired and exhausted and then you don't open yourself up to the love or the possibilities or the help around you because you don't know how to do that. That's exactly right. And that's why those of us, like you ladies, who um, have walked the path and, um, and have, you know, a, a different lens on it, it is so important that we offer ourselves and our stories um, to other people because remember for each of us how lost you feel. And um, it's, you know, when you're having physical pain, when you're having a lack of sleep, when you're depressed, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're having all those other signs of caregiver burnout, um, that's the time when it's the hardest to say, all right, I'm going to make that tough phone call and I'm going to ask Susie and Cassie for some help or, right. you know, I'm going to go meet so-and-so for coffee, which was really a very brave thing, Susie, that you did. You know, it's, it's hard to do that when you're in the midst of the struggle. No, I mean, that's the other thing. It's really emotional when somebody that you love so much, that you respect so much is going through something like this. It's just so emotional. Also, it's a, the financial burden, which you guys both brought up. Um, Lisa's care uh, connection, that's free of charge. Yes, our services are free. We have respite. So if you are taking care of your dad and you want to come in for a support group or you want to come in for an education class or you need to come in and meet with one of our resource specialists, um, we have people that are trained to take care of your loved one while that's going on. That's really important for people because um, you know, having the availability or the finances for in-home care companions is a wonderful support, but one that's not available or certainly not available all the time to families. Yep. So that's a lot of, a lot of what we do. And in our support groups, which are organized by um, whether it's adult children or if it's spouses or whatever, um, they're organized in a way so that when you're in that group, much of the best advice that you can get comes from that peer-to-peer -peer experience. The community. And that's right. What worked for them? Try this. Did you call that one? Right. Um, you know, it's, it's great to have experts to go to, but the experts are the ones that are in it. Yep. Yep. And your location is? We, we are in Burbank, which is my home where I live and in, in um, California, in the L.A. area. And our flagship is my hometown where my family comes from and where my mother lived and loved and died in South Carolina. So those are our two physical locations. But um, if you call us and our, our toll free number is 1-800-OK-LEZA, L-E-E-Z-A, uh, we can um, we can help you no matter where you are. We can help you at least get a handoff phone call to the right in the right direction of someone that can figure this out for you in your neighborhood. That's so great. That's so, so great. You know what? Let's take a quick break. Talk about some great sponsors, and then we'll be back in one second. This is so great. This is Don Priest, beloved producer of Love Conquers Alls. Hey, if you've been thinking about starting your own podcast, stop thinking and do it. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes of finishing your first recording. Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. So join Love Conquers Alls and over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. And now, back to Love Conquers Alls. 
Hey, everybody, you're listening to Love Conquers All's podcast, and we're talking to Lisa Gibbons. Could you tell us a little bit about your mother's story? Do you mind sharing that with us? Well, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. My mother uh, is with me every day. I, I feel like a mother's work is never done. And boy, is that true with mine. Um, she, <laughs> she, she died in 08 after um, struggling for over a decade. Like her mother, my granny struggled for over a decade, um, disappearing with this disease. And my mother was so remarkable because of her experience with her mom when she, before she got a diagnosis, she forced us to accept what was going on. And she literally lined us up, my brother, my sister, my dad, me, my sister-in-law. And she said, look, when I can no longer call you by name, I don't want to live with you. I don't want you to take me into your home. I want you to help daddy know when it's time to let me go. And my mother pulled out brochures and said, Here's, here are the kinds of places where I would like to go. Wow. And they were, uh. all, they were Alzheimer's communities. Now that was brave and self-aware. And we Amazing. were like, we were like, no, it's never going to happen. You know, right. we're going to take care of you. And obviously it's such a deeply personal choice. We had our marching orders, which kept our family intact. But a lot of times a, a, a sibling or a spouse will say, I promise I'm going to keep you at home. And then the loved one gets goes after the knives and starts running out in the street nude and yep. gets arrested and, and physically is putting bruises on the caregiver. And it's untenable yep. many times to keep this loved one at home. And there's tremendous guilt. guilt. So yeah. that's another piece in our culture that I think we need to talk about. And shift and shift and allow oh them to be God. okay from loving that person, putting them in a safe place and also the caregivers being in a safe place. I always feel guilty. If I miss if I miss a day that I'm supposed to visit my mom, I feel guilty. I can't help it. But there was a moment that happened between my mom and I that I actually put in my film because it was so profound. It was a, this evening in the middle of the night when my mom was very agitated and really, really upset. And then she finally turned around and had this moment of lucidity and just said, you've got to put me in a home. You've got to live your own life. She didn't want to be a burden. Of course. Oh, wow. I got chill bumps when you said that. I, I mean, I call those moments a kiss from the angels. Yes. There's incredible lucidity, incredible clarity amidst the insanity. And yet, you know her and you saw it. I saw it. And it was a gift. I, I don't think I would have been able to release her if not for that. And I, I, totally, I totally understand that. You've seen one case of Alzheimer's. You've seen one case. So you don't know that, you know, sometimes as people... They end up, you know, they have that long-term memory and they end up at a time in their life that was peaceful and happy and they're loving. But I also worry that that family members say, gosh, mom is now cursing and she's being, you know, such a bitch. You know, I guess she was really that way. No, no, that is the disease talking. This is, this is eating away at your loved one's brain and taking all of those memories and deposits and synapses and things that make sense. And they're jumbled up. It is not that your loved one is suddenly violent and horrible. It's, no. it's just a brain-eating disease. And, and it's so frustrating. When I brought my daughter's baby to meet her for the first time, and she doesn't have the command of her words and, and articulation anymore. And so when she first saw her, she just looked and said, oh, gosh, damn it. That's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. And I mean, she, 
she tried so hard and all the words came just like my mom. It was oh. there. There she was. God damn it. That's beautiful. That's really <laughs> precious. And what a good expression. Right? That's, yeah. That's a great expression. And speaking of that, I want, I think it's a good segue because we're very simpatico in that having lived through this diagnosis with our mother, there's, we also know as caregivers that being a caregiver can lead to a lot of positive gifts. And that's the thing that I wanted to express in my movie. And I think that's your philosophy as well. And so I'm wondering if you could share some of the gifts that you might have received along the way. There is so much humor in all of this sadness and, and, and pain. And to identify those and give yourself permission to laugh really is important. My mom used to love to get dressed up. And so we, in, in her stage of the disease, maybe where your mom is, or even slightly before, we were at a fundraiser where she was wearing this dress that I had loaned her, this gorgeous sequined aquamarine, beautiful kind of princessy type dress. And we, we were at this party and then, you know, you turn around and she was gone. And just like when a toddler gets away from you and you're like, Ooh. oh my gosh, where's mom? And so I'm darting all around the room. I'm looking for my mother. And I saw her in the corner of the room. She had unzipped the dress. It was resting in a puddle around her ankles. She's standing there in her bra and panties. And I'm <laughs> horrified. <laughs> and I swoop up to her and go, mom, and I'm trying to put the dress back on. I'm like, oh my gosh, mom, what is going on? What's the matter? And she went, what's the matter? This party is boring as hell. And I want to put my pajamas on and go to bed. <laughs> It's the same thing. I love it. I love your mom so much. I love it. And as, as horrible as those moments are, you know, they're they're differently inhibited in ways that we can't really imagine. But in terms of the gifts that do come with this, you know, um, it's like Winnie the Pooh. You really are stronger than you think you are. And you're more patient than you think you ever could be. You have more ability to keep going forward then you could conjure up in a million lifetimes thanks to the brutality of this experience. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's beautiful. beautiful. I want to also say how grateful we are to your mother for, for you. And also <laughs> just everything that she taught you and that, that she shared and, and her, her courage to speak the truth about what was coming up and to even have that insight. I also want to ask you another question. Did you guys have a chimpanzee growing up? It's one of the most um, prominent hoax rumors in the internet. <laughs> <laughs> it's the craziest thing. Um, we never did. You know, <laughs> if you were to look at the anatomy of a rumor, how the heck do they start? And some of them just, the other one that I find as, um, well, not as extreme as that, but because I actually have met Billy Idol, but people said for years that Billy Idol and I dated. Well, that never happened either. Yeah. <laughs> oh I love it. Isn't that funny? That is so much fun. That is so funny. And I would, I would go for that because, you know, your mom sounded like she had a, a great sense of humor and oh, she had she, a great insight. Yeah. One of those steel magnolias that was just sexy and sassy and uh, wonderful. I lady. Oh my God. We, we really are connected. I think because my mom, I always say she has more game even now than I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> All she has to do, if there's if a man walks by, she pushes me aside, get out of my way. Hello. Oh, Suddenly she can greatest. speak. Suddenly she can speak. <laughs> get out, Susie. I must have him. Oh yes. Oh totally. No, it's, he is, it's he is mine, young lady. Yes. <laughs> she, and, side, she, and, side. 
And let me tell you, they respond. I don't know what it is. It's a gift. I don't have it. Because but, she has charisma. She has the thing. She does. She does. Hey, Lisa, I have a question for you. You have two F words that are really important. Could you please share those with us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you have to be flexible and forgiving. And the other F words apply as well. Don't get me wrong. Yes. <laughs> those For are, sure. Those are the things that will that will get you through. You know, you start out saying, okay, and we've got this doctor's appointment, and then I'm going to get you, you know, somebody's going to come over and we're going to work on your hygiene and help you brush your teeth. And well, you've got a whole day planned or you've got a, an hour of the day planned and it never goes that way. And you have to be flexible and forgive that that messed up. Um, I'm going to forgive myself for getting off track. I'm going to forgive myself for being mad. I'm going to forgive myself for losing my temper and forgive other people for not showing up, um, for hurting your feelings, all those things that we carry around with. If you can just remember those F words, they really do help. That's, that's very helpful. Definitely. And beautiful. I have a question for you. Does Lisa's care connection work with children? I know that my, when my mom was diagnosed again, I had a younger daughter. And at the time, people used to tell me why, when my mom lived with me for a year, why, why are you exposing your daughter to that? It's so difficult. It's so hard. And Lisa, our mutual friend who introduced us, who is a doctor, an endocrinologist, said to me, are you kidding me? That's, you couldn't be doing better for her. And really, at the end of the year, my daughter wasn't ready for my mom to leave, which was, you know, my answer. I did the right thing. What do you think about that? We culturally are so afraid of confronting reality. We are age phobic. We're afraid of anything that's old or that, you know, we're afraid of walkers and canes, for goodness sake. Mm -hmm. So we have lots of kind of built in barriers to embracing um, people who are different. And part of what we tried to do with our work in South Carolina, we have a care cafe, for example, and it's not just for families that have diagnosed loved ones with Alzheimer's. It's for people in the neighborhood to come by and hang out with those people nice. so that it isn't so polarizing and so scary. Now, that's that doesn't mean that there are times when it's scary, but every time a caregiver takes a loved one out with a child, for example, um, or just on their own, and they're able to say to the hostess or the server, you know, if it's a little business card they give or whatever that says, you know, please be patient, my wife has Alzheimer's, which is what my dad used to do. That's a step towards educating the general population. When you're grocery shopping with your loved one and you say to the store manager, um, you know, mom's going to have a cart and I'm going to have a cart. When we check out, will you please restock everything in mom's cart? because we're not going to be paying for that, but it's a way to extend our kindness yeah, and just it. let people in on what you need. I love so it. I really, I really believe in, um, in help, help. And I've seen, and we work with um, high school groups too, that are these, at these act, what they call action kids, and they're now embracing the cause. So it's getting better and it, but there's still not enough support for children. You're right. It's, it's important too, because, and I, and I noticed, you know, I had, a friend of mine brought her little, her daughter, who was a toddler, to visit me with my mom. And the toddler was beyond frightened. And then you saw caregivers who brought, bring their kids on a regular basis. And those kids take it in stride. 
you know, hey, Jack, what can I get for you? And Jack is, you know, having an agitation fit on, in the corner, right? And the kid's going, here you go. Here's the clicker. Here you go. What can I get you? You know, and they, they just, and then go back to playing. Yeah. Because it becomes, it becomes part of their, of the world, which it should. Which it should. You're so right. And you're so right. And what you're teaching and showing and what we're doing as well. It's all like, thank you, Lisa, for showing us what love really looks like with those stories and the things that you were talking about that your organization is doing. And it really does take a whole community and for us to be much more collaborative as a society with all these things that are going on. I, yes. I love your mantra that, that I, I read that you wrote that you say older is the new brave. It's perfect. <laughs> Can you, it really is. Because as I'm, as I'm inching towards there, boy, well, you know, like my mom used to say, it's not for the weak at heart, you know. So tell me why you say that now, because I love it. I started thinking that way, ironically, when I was doing Dancing with the Stars way back in the Stone Ages when it was a new show. Um, Which you were great, by the way. I, and I'm so funny. jealous because you <laughs> okay, did a great funny. job. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful, I was gorgeous. not great. I was not great. But I went into it thinking, okay, I'm going to turn 50 on the show. My mother was still alive. And I thought, I'm going to really let go of all the inhibitions and restraints I have. I'm just going to go out there and dance the tango this one night on our birthday. Dance for my mom. Dance for anybody else that feels like they don't have a reason to celebrate. And I thought, okay. I, and I'm going to be fabulous at 50. So I had these fabulous at 50 buttons made. Well, that was a case where I realized there was another F word that I really was at 50. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I keep forgetting I'm not 27. You know, I, just, I do. Part of it is the way that you look at life. And part of it is the way that society looks at us, you know. And so That's I mean, right. we can't let them frame it for us. We have to frame it for ourselves. That's right. And you girls are doing a beautiful job with that. What is your mission or goal in life, if I may ask? To work harder and care more. That's it. You're so wonderful. You're awesome. And we appreciate you so much. We really do. I appreciate the two of you. It's what we have just done and what you guys are doing with your Love Conquers Alls is so important because that is the emotional salve that we need, um, you know, to, to, to apply daily to our wounds of going through this disease. And I'm very grateful to have a chance to, um, to share love and laughs and information and really just that message that we can be empowered, even as we feel like, you know, all hell is breaking loose. A hundred percent. And do take advantage of Lisa's care connection. They have so many resources and if they don't have something, they'll find it for you. Thank you. Yeah. So we're, we're Lisa's care connection.org. Um, that's our, the, on our social platforms as well, but the phone number one eight hundred OK Lisa and um, we're we're here for you. Got the door open. Got the coffee on. Your mom did a wonderful job. Thank you, mother. I'm going to pass that along to my children that you said so. <laughs> I know. I know. 